Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about demonic disciples and morbid milestones. Also, Both of tonight's tales are Chilling Tales exclusives, meaning you won't have heard them anywhere else. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of J.C. Fields and Mark Taos are voice talents Paul J. McSorley and Lucas Webley. Now... Get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from Arthur J.C. Fields and is performed by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights voice talent Paul J. McSorley. In it, 
we'll meet a man named Robert Harris approaching one of the last milestones in a man's life. Retirement, which normally would be something to look forward to, the reward of golden years after a life's worth of hard work. In this case, though, the sudden passing of his wife, best friend and companion, sees him beginning his years of retirement alone. Your wedding vows end with till death do us part, but this story proves that sometimes even that isn't nearly long enough. Without further ado, I present to you The Retirement. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Forty years with the same company. That's a long time. Robert Harris shrugged as he pushed the soggy salad around the paper plate with a flimsy plastic fork. He looked at the young intern sitting across from him. Time goes fast, Thomas. It didn't feel like 40 years. Aren't they supposed to do more than, let's face it, a crappy lunch? Robert put the fork down. That's what happens when a family company sells to a private equity firm. Get used to being under a cost-cutting edict. With a grim smile, he passed his hand over his plate. <laughs> this is my reward for being a loyal employee. I was told they made an exception for me. Really? Why? I'm the last original employee on the last day of his career. The younger man nodded. I like it here. Think they'll offer me a job after I graduate? Robert stood. Pray they don't. It used to be a rewarding place to work. Not anymore. Besides, they'll sell it in a few years and everything will change again. He dropped the barely-touched plate of food into a nearby waste bin and headed toward the cafeteria exit. As he got there, his new boss entered the cafeteria and smiled. Last day, huh? Robert nodded. The man, half his age with an MBA from Yale, put a hand on Robert's shoulder. Sorry I was late, just got out of a meeting. Did you enjoy the meal? Yes, thank you. Good. Why don't you go ahead and pack your office? You can leave early since we need access to it. He smiled as he looked Robert in the eye. The individual taking over your responsibilities will be here Monday. She's asked for it to be remodeled. He turned and walked away, not offering to shake Robert's hand or say have a nice life. Robert shook his head as he rolled his eyes. 
Continuing on to the elevators, he would take the ride to the sixth floor for the last time. In his office, he sent emails to his customers, thanking them for their support over the years and reminding them he would retire at the end of the day. His last piece of business was to place the few remaining personal items into a white storage box. Pictures of his son and daughter, the grandkids, an autographed baseball signed by Johnny Bench, and a small desk clock won 25 years ago in an inter-office sales contest. He picked up the picture of his wife, Peggy. Before placing it in the box, he stared at her image. A tear formed in the corner of his eye and rolled down his cheek. The memory of that horrible Christmas day two years ago flooded back. I sure love having the kids visit, Peggy said as she dried a saucepan he had just washed. But it's also nice when they leave. He started to agree with her, but she stumbled, dropped the pan, and grabbed his shoulder for support. What's wrong, Peg? I... I... Uh... Don't know. She blinked several times. I'm... Dizzy. I've got a... Blinding headache. Robert steadied her and led her to the bedroom. Why don't you lie down? I'll get you a couple of Tylenols and some water. You're so sweet. Thank you. She looked up. I love you, Bobby. I love you too. He bent down and kissed her. He hurried to the kitchen for the water and pills. He returned to the bedroom, placed the glass on the nightstand, and sat next to her on the edge of the bed. Her eyes were closed. He nudged her on the shoulder and said, Peg, honey, I have your Tylenol. She was unresponsive. He glanced at the digital clock as he called 911 on his cell phone at exactly 10.05 p.m. Those words had been their last. He sighed and placed the picture in the box, swallowing hard to clear the lump in his throat. At 2.30 in the afternoon, Harry Benson, head of loss prevention, stepped into his office. Hi, Bob. You ready? Robert shut off the computer screen, grabbed his suit jacket off the coat rack, picked up the box and started to walk out of his office for the last time. Sorry, Bob, I have to search the box. Gotta make sure you're not stealing paper clips, he said with a big smile. How much longer are you staying, Harry? End of the year, HR already talked to me. Remember, you and I are the same age. That's right. Harry was a retired police officer and the only person left in the company Robert considered a friend. Their friendship started several years ago after a company newsletter announced they shared the same birthday. Walking to the elevator, Harry asked, Got any plans for your retirement? Shaking his head, Robert sighed. No, not really. I haven't thought much about it since Peggy passed away. She and I had a lot of plans, but now... While waiting for the elevator, Harry was silent. Finally, as the door opened, he said, Sorry, being forced to retire sucks. I didn't mean to remind you. Robert shrugged. That's okay. It's just the way it is. Both were quiet until they reached the building's entrance. Harry reached to shake his friend's hand. Good luck to you, Bob. One last duty. I have to take your security badge. After ending the shake, with a grim smile, he held his palm open. Call me sometime. Let's go fishing or something. As he placed the card in Harry's hand, he said, I'll do that although he knew he never would. Are you sure you're going to be okay, Daddy? 
The house felt less empty with the kids around. He hated how fast the weekend passed. Robert hugged his daughter tightly. Susan, I'll be fine. I'm meeting a few friends in the morning for coffee. He broke the embrace, held her by her shoulders and smiled. Like I told you last night at dinner, it's going to take a few days to get used to being retired. Lying to his daughter did not come easy, but he didn't want her to worry. She was the mirror image of her mother. Petite, slender, long dark blonde hair, and she possessed the same angelic face. He knew she had her own life to live, and he did not want to burden her with his feelings. It was Sunday afternoon, and his son-in-law, Eric, gathered their kids for the trip home to Kansas City. As he and his daughter walked to her car, Robert put his arm around her shoulder. Thanks for spending the weekend. I've really enjoyed having all of you here. Daddy, she paused for a moment, why don't you think about moving to Kansas City? You'd be closer, and I wouldn't worry about you so much. He smiled. What would I do in Kansas City besides getting your way? You and Eric both have jobs, the kids are in school, and we'd see each other less than we do now. No, Susan, I think it's best I stay here. She smiled and squeezed his hand. Think about it. He nodded. Okay, I'll think about it. As they backed out of the driveway, he waved. Not quite ready to go back inside the now empty house, Robert decided to take a walk around the neighborhood. Afterward, he would watch 60 Minutes. An infomercial for a glorified crockpot woke him at 2.13 a.m. Confused, Robert wondered why Peggy had not gotten him up by now. He had to be at work in a few hours. Realization of why he was still in front of the TV caused him to stare at the ceiling. A tear involuntarily trickled down his cheek. After a few moments, he slowly pushed himself up, turned the TV off, and headed for his bedroom. The lamp on Peggy's bedroom nightstand was on. That's strange. I guess Susan turned it on. He switched it off and continued into the bathroom to get ready for bed. He passed through the master bathroom and opened the door to their closet. A cold pocket of air hung there, causing him to shiver. Thinking the furnace register might be closed, he checked. It was open. With a shrug, he undressed and slipped on a t-shirt and lounge pants. Her clothes still hung on her side of the closet. He didn't need the room, nor did he want to pack them away. He noticed a gap on her side, exposing her favorite nightgown. He touched the soft fabric, then drew the garment to his face and inhaled deeply. Memories of the intimacies shared with Peggy while she wore it made him smile. He assumed Susan had been in the closet earlier in the day. He left the gap and went to bed, ignoring the urge to take the gown with him. Coffee with his friends lasted most of Monday morning. The conversations were lively and he enjoyed the companionship. By 11, most of the guys had paid their bills and left the small diner. Only Dave Cooper remained. He had been Robert's counterpart for the West Coast for decades before the buyout. How'd last Friday go? Robert shrugged. Okay, lunch sucked. I packed my stuff and Harry escorted me out of the building. End of story. Dave laughed. <laughs> Sounds like my last day. Only I didn't get a lunch. You didn't miss anything. After I retired, I felt like you do right now. What the hell am I going to do? He put his hand on Robert's shoulder. Relax, Bob. It'll take a few weeks. 
he'll get used to not going to work. I was miserable at first, but gradually I found other things to do. Give it time, you'll be fine. Robert looked at his friend. If you say so. Why don't you join our Wednesday golf group? It's a great way to kill a morning. I haven't played golf since Peggy. He paused. I haven't played for a while. He stared at his friend for a few moments. I'll be rusty. Laughing, Dave said, No problem. None of us are any good. It's more of a social gathering than a golf game. He stood to leave. One last thing. Joyce wants you to come to dinner Friday night. She has a friend she wants you to meet. No pressure, just a friendly dinner. Can you make it? Robert was quiet. He didn't want to betray Peggy by dating. He hesitated. I'm not sure about that right now. Who would want to meet a 66-year-old widower? A 66-year-old widow? Dave said straight-faced. I'll think about it. Robert returned home late Friday night. Thoughts of canceling had occurred to him all week, but finally he decided to go. As it had been when Peggy was alive, dinner with Dave and Joyce provided laughter and good conversation. Jolene was nice, but every time he looked at her, he saw Peggy smile or heard her laughter. It was unnerving. He helped the Coopers clean up after Jolene left. While putting dishes away, Robert said, Was it my imagination or did Jolene laugh like Peggy? Dave chuckled. Your imagination, Bob. She sounded nothing like Peggy. Shaking his head, Robert finished helping, thanked them for an enjoyable evening, and said goodnight. Just before entering the house, he touched the button to lower the garage door. When he walked into the kitchen, a chill ran up his spine. Every single accent light in the kitchen, dining room, and living room were on. Peggy loved the ambiance they added to their house, but he had not turned them on since her funeral. Frowning, he knew for sure he was not responsible. Standing in the center of the dining room, memories of the lights made him take a deep breath. He had forgotten how warm and inviting they made their home. As he slowly let his breath out, he remembered the cleaning service had been there earlier in the day. Reaching to turn one off, he stopped. A cabinet door was open, one he had not opened in two years. Without hesitation, he walked into the kitchen to close it. After stepping on something hard and brittle, he glanced down and saw the remains of a wine glass shattered on the floor. He looked up at the cabinet and saw its twin precariously perched on the edge of a shelf, ready to fall. He stiffened, stared at the glass, and realized it was one of two he had bought for Peggy on their 25th wedding anniversary. After sweeping up the broken glass, he looked again at the lights. They filled him with wonderful memories of Peggy. He left them on. The first thing he noticed as he walked into the bedroom was Peggy's nightstand lamp on again. Before leaving for the Coopers, he had made sure it was off. He stared at it for a few moments, then turned and walked down the hall to the guest bedroom. If his daughter had made a surprise visit, why had she not called first? Plus, the question of why she would not clean up the broken glass filled him with a sense of foreboding. When he opened the door, the room was dark and empty. His stomach clinched as he felt the hairs on the back of his neck tingle. After several moments of uncertainty, he hurried to his bathroom. His image in the mirror startled him. A gaunt face with dark circles under the eyes stared back at him. He ran a trembling hand through increasing grayer hair. He sighed, leaned forward, 
placed his palms flat on the bathroom vanity and lowered his head. His eyes closed as he shook his head slowly. When he straightened, he noticed something white on the floor of the closet. He turned and froze. It was Peggy's nightgown. Sleep eluded him the rest of the night. Each time the furnace kicked on or a car drove by, he woke up. Afterward, it would take forever to get back to sleep. Finally, during the early light of dawn, he gave up and went to the kitchen to make coffee. As it brewed, he took two cups down from the cabinet, put Sweet and Low in his, and a little bit of creamer in Peggy's. As he put the creamer up, he stopped. What the heck are you doing, Robert? Losing your mind? Closing his eyes tight to keep the tears from flowing, he took a deep breath and sighed. Finally, he emptied the cup with creamer, rinsed it, and placed it back in the cabinet. A month went by without another fallen nightgown and lights-on incidents. Eventually, Robert developed a routine which helped add structure to his life. Most days were dull and boring. He spent his time cleaning the garage, raking leaves, winterizing the house, and playing golf on Wednesday. He enjoyed the group of guys he played with and found himself looking forward to the weekly event. Concentrating on remembering which lights were on when he left the house, he realized all of the prior incidents were his fault. Three weeks later, Robert was shopping at the small grocery store Peggy and he always used. The manager walked up to him and said, How's retirement going, Bob? Boring. Would you like something to do three or four days a week? Robert smiled. I would love something to do six or seven days a week. Why do you ask? Well, I like to hire retired gentlemen to help sack and carry out groceries. I have an opening and thought if you're interested, you'd be perfect. Yeah, I'm interested. When could I start? A week later, Robert began working from three in the afternoon to eight at night, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and 11 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon on Saturdays and Sundays. He loved it. There was no pressure. He got to interact with people. He made a little extra money, and Wednesdays were free for golf. One Sunday night, after working till 6 in the evening, he didn't feel like fixing dinner. On the way home, he stopped for takeout. As he was getting a plate down, he felt a cool breeze pass him and heard a faint whisper. Bobby. He spun around. The kitchen was empty. Only one person called him Bobby. Shaking his head, he tried to decide if he had imagined the voice. Unsure, he took his plate of food to the living room and picked at it while he watched TV. The next thing he knew, he felt a hand on his shoulder gently shaking him. Time for bed, Bobby. You fell asleep. As was his habit, he said, Just a minute, dear. I'll be right there. He froze. The touch on his shoulder had been real, and the voice Peggy's. He stared at her empty lounge chair next to his. With a trembling hand, he wiped a tear from his eye, stood up, turned off the TV, and went to bed. The weather turned cold and rainy on the Wednesday following his trip to Kansas City for Thanksgiving. With the golf game canceled, he spent the day reading and sorting through his DVD collection. After dozing in his chair several times, he went to bed before the local 10 o'clock news. At 1.35 a.m., he awoke to the sound of gentle snoring beside him. Half asleep, he smiled and rolled over to put his hand on Peggy's shoulder, just as he had for 40 years. 
His hand touched nothing. He sat up straight and turned on the nightstand lamp. He stared at Peggy's side of the bed. Empty. Fully awake, he got out of bed and headed to the bathroom. As soon as he walked into the room, his foot stepped on something soft and slippery. Flipping on the lights, he looked down. A chill traveled up his spine. His foot was standing on Peggy's nightgown. The days leading up to Christmas were busy. He worked at the grocery store as much as possible and volunteered at a food bank. His days were full and getting home after dark was not unusual. One night while driving through the neighborhood, he noticed how bright and cheerful the Christmas lights were on the houses he passed. He smiled thinking of Peggy telling him to put the lights wherever he wanted, then changing everything until she was completely satisfied. Once completed, the house would always be beautiful. As he pulled into the garage, an overwhelming sense of loss surprised him. He had not felt like this since the day she died. He sat in the car and let the tears flow. Finally, after calming down, he got out of the car. Dinner was light, soup and a small salad. Afterward, he sat down to watch television and immediately dozed off. The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon was just ending when he awoke. He found the remote in his lap and turned off the TV. As he stood up, he noticed Peggy sitting in her chair. Her face was sad. I'm so sorry, Bobby. He fell back into the chair and looked at her again. She was gone. I'm sorry too, Peggy. After sitting for a few more moments, he got up and went to bed. At 2.13 a.m., Robert heard her soft rhythmic snoring next to him. He did not reach for her, remembering what had happened the last time. Instead, he relaxed and relished the sound, a sound that had comforted him all those sleepless nights over the years. The next thing he knew, the sun was up and shining through the bedroom window. Glancing at the clock, he saw that it was after nine, later than he normally slept. Vaguely remembering what he had heard during the night, he looked over at Peggy's side of the bed. The pillow was indented where she normally lay, and he caught a faint whiff of her favorite perfume. The following Tuesday was busy at the grocery store. The weather forecast called for snow and possible freezing rain on Wednesday, so customers were stocking up before the storm. Since arriving at 3 p.m., Robert had not taken a break by the time it grew close to 7. He was busy sacking an elderly woman's groceries when, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a slender petite woman with grayish-blonde hair enter the grocery aisle just beyond the checkout stand. Her back was to him. He stopped and watched her stroll down the aisle. There was something familiar about her stride. Excuse me, young man. When are you going to finish? I'm in a hurry. His attention returned to the older woman he was helping. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Thought I saw someone I knew. He was about to place eggs into a grocery sack when he looked up again to watch the woman moving down the aisle. As she turned the corner at the far end of the aisle, she stopped and looked straight back at Robert. It was Peggy. He dropped the eggs from about two feet high and raced down the aisle as Peggy turned the corner. When he got there, he was met by an empty cart. He grabbed it and frantically looked around until the owner of the store rushed up behind him. What the heck is going on, Bob? You broke Mrs. Ferguson's eggs. Taking a deep breath, Robert blinked several times before he turned and said, Sorry, thought I saw a shoplifter. 
The owner frowned, but nodded and headed toward the egg section. Robert ran his hand through his hair and felt moisture in his forehead. Looking at the empty shopping cart, he shook his head. Just as he turned to take it back to the front of the store, a cold pocket of air surrounded him. Daddy, I insist you join us for Christmas. Robert smiled. His daughter was being protective again. Nah, Susan, I felt like a third wheel at Eric's parents' house last year. Besides, I already have plans. What plans could you possibly have? The men's club at church is serving Christmas dinner at St. Agnes. I volunteered. Don't you want to be with your own family at Christmas? Yes, but your brother and his wife are going to North Carolina to be with her family. It's no big deal. It works that way some years. I'll see you the following weekend just like we planned. The call ended after several more attempts for him to reconsider. He learned about his children's plans for Christmas during the Thanksgiving holidays. But now, as the time grew near, the idea of spending it alone grew less appealing. One hour into his serving shift at St. Agnes, Robert knew he had made a mistake. Dave Cooper pulled him off the line and said, What's wrong, Bob? You're throwing food at their plates, not serving it. We're supposed to be like Christ and embrace the poor. Robert stared at the floor. I don't know. I can't help it. I see myself in those men. They've nowhere to go but here, alone and without family. He raised his head and looked at Dave, his eyes moist. Ah, sorry, Dave. I should have realized this wasn't a good idea. His friend smiled. My fault. I shouldn't have asked you. I didn't think about how you might feel. Go on home, Bob. We've plenty of help. Shaking his head, he said, No, I made a commitment. I'll wash dishes and bring out clean trays. But I don't want to serve anymore. With a fatherly smile, Dave patted him on the shoulder. Thanks, Bob. With no appetite when he arrived home, Robert made a bag of popcorn in the microwave and tried to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on DVD. After an hour, his interest waned, so he turned it off and went to bed. Sleep eluded him as he tossed and turned, his mind unable to forget the homeless, lonely men eating Christmas dinner by themselves at the church. At exactly 10.05 p.m., he sat up and stared at the digital clock. Two years ago, to the exact minute, he made the emergency 911 call about Peggy. He lay back down and a tear rolled down his cheek. Several moments later, he heard the sound of the bathroom door opening. He watched as Peggy, dressed in her favorite nightgown, walked to her side of the bed, pulled the covers back, and lay down next to him. He rolled over and stared at her, not wanting the image to fade. She wrapped her arms around him and kissed him. He returned the embrace and hugged her tightly. She kissed him again and said, Merry Christmas, Bobby. I've missed you. Susan's sense of panic began to grow, having not heard from her father for two days. Calls to his cell phone went unanswered. Likewise, text messages and emails. Finally, she insisted Eric drive them the three hours to her father's house to check on him. Afraid of what she would find, she called the local police department and asked for an officer to meet her at the house. When they arrived, the officer took her key and opened the locked front door. He returned several minutes later, talking into his shoulder radio, requesting an ambulance. He turned to her. 
It appears your dad passed away in his sleep. As tears welled in her eyes, Susan rushed into the house. She found her father in bed with the covers pulled back. He was on his side, his eyes closed and a peaceful smile on his face, one she had not seen for two years. Then she noticed her mother's nightgown. Her hands covered her mouth as she started to sob. The nightgown appeared to be hugging her father. I hope you enjoyed The Retirement, as written by J.C. Fields and voiced by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's voice talent Paul J. McSorley. Voice actor Paul J. McSorley's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also find more of Paul's work by visiting Audible and checking out his many audiobooks. Just go to audible.com and type Paul J. McSorley into the search bar. That's Paul J. McSorley, M-C-S-O-R-L-E-Y. You'll be glad you did. And after dropping by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. And to find more from J.C. Fields, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash fields, spelled F-I-E-L-D-S and you'll be redirected to his author profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find ways to follow him on his website, kevindavidanderson.com, as well as a link to his work on amazon.com. By clicking his Amazon link on that profile, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales, where we're proud Amazon affiliates to help make this show possible. And if you do decide to check out JC's work on Amazon, you don't want to miss his fantastic collection, the Sean Kruger series. In the first book of the series, The Fugitive Trail, in the lobby of a prestigious Wall Street investment firm, one man is dead and another seriously injured. The man accused of the crime is now a fugitive. When the director of the FBI personally orders Special Agent Sean Kruger to New York City to find the fugitive, Kruger questions the reason. Told to shut up and to do his job, he starts looking into the case. What he finds is troubling. Eyewitness accounts seem contrived with little variance between individual testimonies. The more he hears, the more he feels someone is manipulating the story. As the investigation unfolds, he discovers the only information known about the fugitive is an HR file from a former employer. Public records of the man do not exist. The fugitive is a ghost, a ghost who has disappeared. The Assassin's Trail. A serial killer is on the loose in the Washington, D.C. area. Two men are dead, and the FBI has called in profiler Special Agent Sean Kruger. Now in the twilight of his career, Kruger and longtime girlfriend Stephanie have decided to marry. Tired of the bureaucracy and politics of his job, he wants no part of the investigation. But when the assassin strikes close to home, it becomes personal. And the imposter's trail. Over the Indian Ocean, a Malaysia airline jumbo jet drops from radar. 327 souls disappear with it. A woman in Rockford, Illinois is brutally murdered. Unrelated news events? 
Retired FBI agent Sean Kruger doesn't think so. He suspects it's the work of serial killer Randolph Bishop. So don't delay. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash fields, spelled F-I-E-L-D-S. Pick up your copy of The Fugitive's Trail, the first book in the Sean Kruger series, and let JC know that Steve Taylor sent you. It would mean a lot to us. Up next, we've got a second sinister story, as written by Mark Taos and performed by Lucas Webley. There's an adage used often that says work can be hell. Well, in this tale, we'll be introduced to Tony, a regular working man called into the office of one of his superiors. When the general conversation takes the inevitable route toward Tony's sudden unemployment, he doesn't hesitate to let his boss know what he really thinks of him. Something we've all fantasized about at one time or another, I'm sure. However, his infuriated courage and adrenaline can't possibly prepare him for what's about to take place. As we see the adage previously mentioned become all too literal. Now, without further ado, I present to you just another meeting. I'm not sure if he knows how little respect I have for him. He leans back in his chair, slowly placing his hands behind his head, making a meal of it, as though what is to follow is going to bring him great pleasure. The two rings under his armpits are bigger versions of the circles that surround his sallow eyes. Other patches of darkness decorate the rest of his pallid and pudgy face, as though his soul is seeping through his skin. Tony... He exhales slowly, as though he is about to deliver the news that my mother has passed. Center stage on his desk is a picture of his wife and kids at the beach. I wonder why they're smiling. At this moment in time, I want to know that more than anything else in the world. The whiteboard above his head lists his duties for the day. He could wipe that clean and scrawl the words, be a prick across it. He's staring at me now with a look that suggests pity and disappointment. I bet he's rehearsed this in the mirror. You haven't hit targets in months, Tony. He finally breathes out. Was that a smile? It isn't a question, but he leaves it hanging in the air regardless. I consider my response. I could handle this with decorum. Jeff, you're a dick. Nobody has stood up to him before. But I've had enough. As the words land, there's a sharp intake of breath and a noticeable tightening of his face. His right eyelid collapses, stuck in a long, drawn-out wink. He finally raises his left hand, physically drawing his eyelid back with his finger. It's quite a spectacle. You're a waste of skin, Jeff. Everyone despises you. Wishes you were dead. The number of times I've sat at my desk squeezing that stress ball, pretending it's your fat neck. Anything else would be overkill. So I pause, giving him the chance to absorb my words. So much for going with grace. But this is bottled fury. I'm well out of my comfort zone, hands shaking with adrenaline. They still quiver even as I clasp them together. He slowly brings his arms back down and a nervous cough escapes the pursed hole between the downturn of his lips. He crosses his legs, and his pants fried up. 
unveiling colorful Garfield socks. A futile effort to portray himself as one of us. His right eye begins to twitch more aggressively as he opens his mouth to speak. Nothing emerges. He looks at me and snaps his head quickly to the ground, before placing his finger behind his drab grey tie, wrestling it forward to relieve some of the pressure from the ripples in his neck. I know nothing about this man, yet I despise him. He came into my life and turned it upside down. Things were fine. Plenty of commission and talk of promotion as the company continued to expand. I was top dog. And then, the stroke of genius of employing Jeff to manage the expanding sales team. A man devoid of personality and with no respect for the staff he commands. Multiple times I've daydreamed about lodging a pen into his brain. I was the best salesperson five years in a row. You've been in this middle management role for six months. And in that time, you've stripped all the good accounts away from seasoned players, handing them off to incompetent juniors. What is that? Envy? The only other explanation is that you are plain and simple dumb as dog shit. I'm on a roll here. Jeff begins to squirm in his seat. The tailored suits likely purchased in slimmer times begins to look even smaller on as though it's constricting with his ego. Tony, with all due respect, shut the fuck up, Jeff. I'm going down fighting. The guy has made the lives of the entire sales floor miserable of late, cancelling all holidays, getting us in early, keeping us until late with endless meetings of drivel, and all to try and make up for the mess he's made of things. We're all paying the price for his inadequacy. The hair matted to his head that is too perfectly black starts to drip a viscous liquid that slowly rolls down his forehead onto the bridge of his nose. There's something strange going on with his eyes also. The dark surrounding rings seem to be growing, drawing his eyes inward. He doesn't look well at all. But there is no going back now. Where did you learn to be such an asshole? Is there a special school that allows you to specialize in being a turd? With a violently shaking hand, he reaches for the coffee cup on the table. But before he can grab it, I swipe it away, sending it smashing into the mustard-colored wall. Momentarily, I imagine it's his skull, pretending the dark streaks of splatter are his blood. Through the blinds, I see others turn in surprise. The faint murmur of gossip begins. I'm on another level now. He's made my life hell. Nothing ever good enough. I haven't slept well for weeks. The late nights. The ban on vacation days. Insistence on coming in at the weekends. The relentless texts and emails. Judy and I have done nothing but argue. Even the kids have suffered at the mercy of this fat fuck. No more. I stand up, sending the chair falling behind me. Instinctively, I reach across, grabbing his tongue, heaving him away from the protection of the desk. The office shudders as I throw him against the wall. I'm only inches away from his face now. I can taste the fat on his breath, but there's something fouler that permeates the air between us. A cocktail of cheap aftershave and rotting flesh. As I stare into his lifeless eyes, the dark liquid continues to run down the side of his face. 
He opens his mouth and utters sheepishly. I, I need your forecast, Tony. The laughter comes immediately. I can't control it. The whole situation is absurd. And my sales projection request is the icing on the cake. Jeff, what the hell is wrong with you? The twitch in his eyes getting worse. He's winking at me with unfathomable speed. He reaches for his throat as if he is struggling to get enough breath, and I'm immediately drawn to the ring on his wedding finger. Encrusted in the middle is a large red jewel, perhaps a ruby. It begins to glow. Forecast! The damp patches are springing up everywhere, including a large one quickly spreading on the crotch of his pants. Random blotches of black liquid are popping up across his shirt, as though each of my words is puncturing his skin. Is that gasoline I can smell? I feel out of depth, the hairs on the back of my neck prickling, and an involuntary shudder rattling down my spine. His shirt is saturated now. Dark rings continue to consume the entirety of his face. Streams of black work their way down his face like wax down a candle, and I can feel their heat as they gently fizz on his cheek. Slowly, he begins to slip down the side of the wall. He said it would be easy. He croaks. Veins in his bulbous neck are turning to a fiery orange in front of my eyes, and there's a sizzling sound accompanied by small wisps of grey smoke. My heart pounds wildly, and my throat suddenly feels so dry. I was in control, but this is throwing me. My knees feel weak. My stomach is churning. He clutches at the ring, trying to rip it from his finger, but it doesn't budge. No! I don't want to go back! He screams. There's a sudden and horrific crack as his nose twists out of shape a black, treacle-like liquid oozing from the wound. It drips onto the carpet and begins to smolder. As he reaches for his face, more bleeding lacerations break out across his cheeks. His hair is no longer jet black, but a mousy grey, and it's starting to frazzle and fall out. The number 666 appears to have been branded across the flesh of his scalp. Some of my colleagues are at the window peering through the blinds, Jake looks to me as if I might be able to offer an explanation, but I shrug, turning my attention back to the smoking man. All I can do is watch, stunned, frozen to the spot as his body continues to smoke in front of me. I wonder how anything so damp can burn, but then I remember the pungent smell of petrol. He begins to moan, violently kicking his legs and writhing on the floor in a series of spasms. Smoke emanates from all parts, and his shirt and pants are disintegrating into ashes, floating surreally towards the dirty fluorescent lights in the ceiling. With a gentle whoosh, he erupts into a ball of flames. The liquid that was oozing from his body only seems to fuel the fire, and all I can do is watch as the fire begins to consume him. The scream that emanates is unworldly. Thousands of blood-curdling howls rolled into one, and I shiver involuntarily and contrarily to the heat he is emitting. Our eyes lock, but I can still make out the intermittent flash of the red jewel on his finger. His skin peels away, and the smell of cooking flesh permeates the air. I double over and dry heave, but I can't take my eyes away from the unfolding carnage. 
the whites of his eyes are still prominent through the flames, standing out against the veiled shades of red and black. A gentle popping sound occurs, and one of them begins to ooze down the side of his cheek, like a freshly cracked egg. It bubbles and jars, blending in quickly with the slab of now lifeless meat that was once my boss. I hear urgent voices and footsteps outside. The door swings open, and I see Kate, face as white as a sheet, holding out her fire extinguisher. It's a little late for that, I mutter. We both watch as the body impossibly disintegrates into nothing but a small pile of ashes. More of my colleagues start to gather around the charred carpet tiles and all that remains of our boss. After a lengthy stalemate of confusion and shock, Jake finally utters, Should I get the vacuum? I bend down to explore the neat pile of ashes on the floor, and it isn't long before I find it. I lift the ring, rotating it in my fingers, to find an inscription written on the inside. Congratulations on graduating from my middle management school, Jeff. Now get out there and bring hell to their day. Yours, Lucifer. I've since followed the press coverage. There are people on the other side of the world claiming they recognize the person that I saw turn to ash. But this man didn't go by the name of Jeff. John tried to kill his wife and two children. Poured gasoline all over the carpets and curtains before tossing the match and then getting into his car and driving head-on into a tree. They lived. But he died of massive head trauma. Where else would such a failure end up but middle management? The picture of the family on his desk was cut out from a magazine we later found in one of his drawers. These souls that walk the office floor, bringing gloom, despair, endless meetings, and circles of sweat are here to make our lives hell. They're the devil's minions, hiding under the guise of middle management. And they've all walked this earth before, but on the wrong path. They've been recruited and sent back to do his work. They're not one of us. And they must be stopped. Story 2 outro, closing notes and reminders. I hope you enjoyed Just Another Meeting, as written by Mark Taos and voiced by Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's actor, Lucas Webley. Lucas Webley is a commercial and dramatic voice actor from Central England and host of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network's Terror Under 10 podcast, in which he also performs lead on all featured stories. Webley's work is featured in a number of video games such as Atrocity from Cold Furnace Studios, Distant Kingdoms from Orthrus Studios, and Overload from Revival Productions. He also provides voices for animated projects, as well as narration for a number of educational YouTube channels, including Question and Electric. To find more from Mark Taos, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Taos, spelled T-O-W-S-E, and you'll be redirected to his author page on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find ways to connect with and follow him for his latest updates, as well as a link to his work on amazon.com. By clicking his Amazon link on that profile, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales to help make this show possible, as we're proud Amazon affiliates. And if you decide to check out Mark's work on Amazon, you won't want to miss his fantastic new novel, Nana. In our featured author's latest magnum opus, you'll meet Ollie and his Nana, a woman by the name of Ivy. Unfortunately for Ollie, it takes more than clean dentures, brandy, and bingo night to keep her happy. Nana Ivy lives in New Haven Crescent, where most of the other residents are past their expiration dates and all kinds of crazy. It's the kind of place where you hang your sanity up at the door. Being the matriarchal type, Ivy cares for the other residents as though they were kin. So of course, it's of enormous concern when their veins begin to blacken and they start shedding their skin. Not to mention the glistening things crawling out of their hair. They're pushing their luck and Nana Ivy knows it. Oh, and did I mention she has a dark secret? Young Ollie doesn't know what to make of it when he comes to visit, but he's about to find out there's more to his Nana than cough drops and slippers. Oh yes, he's in for a long night. So don't delay. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Taos, spelled T-O-W-S-E, and pick up your copy of Nana. And let Mark know that Steve and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you It would mean a lot to us. Thanks again for your support of tonight's talented authors and of indie horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.